Okay, we are in the book of Acts, and picking it up at Acts chapter 8, reading from verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Okay, so we had learned last time about how um, Stephen was, was uh, stoned to death. Stephen was killed. And Saul was not just an innocent bystander, holding the the cloaks of some of these folks, it says Saul was in hearty agreement with his being put to death. And on that day, a persecution arose. So it wasn't just Stephen. This mob mentality then picked up and it arose a persecution against the entire church. And it says, and it began in the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles were never scattered. The apostles didn't have to leave. And, and if, you, if you look back in, uh, in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 5, maybe we, we get, we get uh, a reason why they, they didn't go after the apostles. It says in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. So you remember when when, uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter, they dropped down dead right away. And after this, it says, people were afraid to even associate with the apostles. I mean, the word gets out very quickly. You lie to these people and you will die. And the people held them in high esteem. And because so many miracles had been done through these people, remember they had been thrown into prison and they would end up walking right out of the prison, that people didn't go near the apostles. And you see the same sort of thing in the Old Testament. When people came, for example, to come after some of the prophets. For example, whole armies would become blinded at times when they would go after the prophets. So they left the apostles alone. But everyone else began to have to scatter, and they went from Jerusalem to the surrounding Judea and into Samaria. And God used this persecution to expand His church. God used it to expand His church. And it says that in verse 2, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. This probably was not believers. The believers would have been picked up. And in fact, their own scriptures, their own teachings had told them so they had their own uh, uh, Jewish teachings, which survive till today. And it says that when a man has been put to death, condemned to death, condemned to die, he wasn't supposed to have lamentation. There wasn't supposed to be any mourning over his death. But it says, devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation. This was probably the same reference to devout men, the same type of reference that's in Acts chapter 2, where it talks about devout men were filling Jerusalem at the time uh, before the Pentecost. And so these were the men that heard the preaching of the Word of God. And it, defer- it refers to devout Jewish men. 
It's the same word that Luke uses also in, in Luke chapter 2, where he, he uses of Simeon, when, G, when Jesus was brought into the temple and blessed of God by Simeon. It says he was a devout man. So there were Jews who were devout Jews who weren't in unison with the, the Sanhedrin when they had condemned this man to die, and they took it upon themselves to do right by this man, to take his body and to give him a proper burial and to uh, um, make loud lamentation over him. It says in verse 3, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women and he put them in prison. So you wonder, well, what happened to the kids? They were just left. Imagine being dragged off to prison. It wasn't just the father. It was the mother as well. So men and women alike were being dragged off. And it wasn't as if they were, they, were, uh, uh, um, they were willingly going. They were being dragged off into the prison. So they, it was, they were probably beside themselves. Here were their children at home. Here the man was being dragged off to prison. The woman was being dragged off to prison. And they went house after house. And so remember, the church often met in... in the, in the, the temple, the church was meeting, but also from house to house, it says. So we're told in the book of Acts, they, went, they, they met together from house to house, and they were going into these houses of the known believers, and they were ravaging. And it was actually being run by this man, Saul. And we know at this time, because in, in the end of chapter 7, it says, it says Paul was a young man, but that reference young man means anywhere less than 40 years old. So then in, in verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. It's a very interesting verse. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Well, you would think that those who had just been driven out of their homes, those who had just lost everything they owned and had to flee for their lives and had had one of their deacons just killed, and many of their fellow brethren dragged into the streets, through the streets, and into prison, that they would leave being bitter, or upset, or scared, something other than preaching the Word. It said those who had been scattered went about preaching. So it was more than one. It wasn't just Philip who we're about to read about. It was those who had been scattered were taken... And, and it were, were led by God to preach the Word of God. This is what they were doing. They were, they were t- going about and they were preaching the Word of God. Such a different response comes in the midst of what would take a typical believer, a, a typical unbeliever, and, and have, them have a very bitter response. Imagine even being bitter toward God. I mean, this, these sort of things happen. You lose everything. And they go about preaching the word, the kingdom of God and how good God is. Look at the difference of what Jesus makes in the life of the believer. As believers, we can truly live a different sort of life. We don't have to be overcome by the things of the world that the things of the, uh, the, that is overcome by the people are overcome by. We don't have to pick up the same attitudes of bitterness, the same attitudes of racism, the same attitudes of vileness, the same attitudes of bitterness toward the government. We don't have to pick that up. These people went about preaching the Word of God. 
And God often does this. He uses suffering to bring us out of a place of comfort to a place where we're more able to be used by Him. This is typical of God. Remember what Jesus had said. He said you are to take this gospel. You are to go from uh, you, you, you are to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth. This is what Jesus told them to do. And very often we are led by circumstances. This is what the scriptures teach us. We are <clears throat> often led by circumstances. Watchman Nee says that that. Uh, um, Never think yourself to be so spiritual that you don't have to be led by circumstances. Look at Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary did not receive a revelation saying, you know, uh, 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 the Messiah is going to have to be born in Bethlehem, so you two better get down to Bethlehem so that he can be born there. No, God used the circumstances of a census and a command from government saying, get down to your home city because we're taking a census and who's ever not brought down to their home city will be killed. So God used the circumstances of that day to bring Jesus to, to bring Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born there. God used the circumstances of the day to cause Jesus to come out of Egypt. So Jesus was then brought to Egypt because of a persecution that arose. And because the scriptures clearly say that out of Egypt I called my son. God uses circumstances very often to propel us into different locations. You say, why did I lose my job? I don't know why you lost your job. A lot of times people lose jobs because they get laid off because it has nothing to do with them. They haven't done anything wrong. But God is using that to bring them to another location. Why is God transferring me? Doesn't he realize that I love this church where I am? And my family's all tied in here and my kids are very comfortable in school. Why is God allowing this to happen? I don't know. Well, maybe He wants you in another place. God uses circumstances to bring people to other places. And instead of going in bitterness and hatred and spitting and cursing, it says they went about preaching. And so you think of the different sort of response that we can have as believers We are to have a different sort of response. We're not to pick up the attitudes of the world. I assure you, any other group, any other organization where they had taken one of those those members of the organization and killed that member and then started grabbing other members and throwing them into prison, the remaining members would not just go about preaching the beauties of the kingdom of God. They would go about, if it were anything other than the church, they would go about fighting they would go about trying to kill those who had been persecuting them. They would go, or they would go about cursing the very organization that they had been a part of. But it's because of God. Because the church is not just a social organization. It is something that's built around the Son of God. And He takes us and He uses us quite differently. Now let's look in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So so there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. 
And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. And when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. <clears throat> okay, so it, it says that Philip went down to Samaria. So Samaria is north of Jerusalem. But because Jerusalem is up on this high mountain, whatever direction they go, there's this sense that they're going down. So they speak of it as going down to the city of Samaria, proclaiming Christ to them. Now you may remember Jesus had met a Samaritan woman and people came and they were actually converted because of Jesus' speaking. But there was also great, great animosity between the Samaritans and the people from Jerusalem and the Jews. So much so that at one point Jesus was coming through Samaria, it says, near the end of his ministry. And as he was coming through, it says that the people did not welcome him because he had his face set toward Jerusalem. They knew he was on his way to Jerusalem, and so they didn't welcome him. And as a result, James and John wanted to call down fire and brimstone upon the Samaritans for their not welcoming Jesus. And Jesus' response to, 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 to James and John is, you don't know what spirit you are of. So he says, you, you know, you're, you're not to bring down fire and brimstone upon them. You don't understand what spirit you're speaking from. When you speak like this, this is not of God. So when we get these attitudes of bitterness and hatred toward others, we are not speaking from anything that God has placed within our hearts. There's enough devilish stuff already in our hearts that can be speaking these things, but it is not from God that we speak like that. And so the Samaritans, actually what had happened was it was, it was a mixed race but more than that, it was a mixed religion long before it had been a mixed race. Because you may remember that in the Old Testament, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, then there was the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah had part of Benjamin, and Judah was the southern kingdom. That had remained devoted to the Lord for quite a long time, whereas the northern kingdom very quickly went astray. And the northern kingdom actually started serving idols. And so what had happened, if you remember Jeroboam, said, you know, if, if people go down to, to the temple and worship in Jerusalem, he's going to lose control of them. So he actually built an idol temple in Samaria. And it was at this idol temple that they would worship. So it was a mixed religion. They had God and they had idols. And they didn't receive the prophets, many of the prophets that, that were spoken of, and they didn't receive Jerusalem as the place they had to worship. That's why Jesus, the, the woman said to Jesus, you know, we're, we're supposed to worship here, and Jews say that in Jerusalem we're supposed to worship. Because there was this difference. And Jesus said, you know, there's going to come a day when, you, when those who worship, worship in spirit and in truth. But they didn't receive from Jews. Jews weren't received in Samaria. And there was lots of animosity. That's when Je why when Jesus gave the parable of the man who was injured by the side of the road, and it was a Samaritan that went and ministered to the man. That was, like, amazing that a Samaritan would do this. Because Samaritans, in the Jews' eyes, were so bad. And so he's telling the Pharisees, 
You guys passed by, but oh, by the way, it was the Samaritan that ministered to this man who was in trouble. So, you get a sense for the animosity that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews, and it's Philip who goes down there and starts to preach to them. And it says in verse 5, he was proclaiming Christ to them, saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the awaited one. And it says crowds were giving him attention, giving attention to what, what, to Philip as they heard in verse 6, as they heard and saw the signs that he was performing. They heard and they saw the signs. There were not just signs and wonders, but they heard a message along with that. And they didn't just hear, but there were also signs and wonders that went along with that. As they heard and they saw the signs, they were ministered to and they began giving Peter, uh, giving Philip their attention. Philip was proclaiming the word of God that went along with the signs. And it says uh, in, in verse 7, For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So you see that there are indeed people that have unclean spirits that are being cast out. Never think yourself so intellectual that you can reason around this thing. Think of how many pages in your Bible you would have to pull out if you didn't want to believe in unclean spirits. And the unclean spirits were coming out of these people. Now remember, and I've told this story before. Remember one day I was driving down the road, I was in graduate school, and Shireen was, was in the car with me and we were driving, and I was thinking... There are all these unclean spirits. I never see them, you know, unclean spirits and people. Jesus was confronting them all the time. And as I was driving down the road, all of a sudden the road, there was some construction and it went down to one lane. And it was this one lane highway. And it, it said, you know, slow down your car. It's like 45 miles an hour or something. So I'm driving down this thing. And right as I'm thinking, where are all these unclean spirits, fill, people filled with unclean spirits? I never see them. This... 18-wheeler truck comes like six inches from my back bumper and is just honking his horn and the guy is shaking his fist out the window and, and there's nowhere I could go because it had gone down to just this one very restricted lane. And God is showing me, you want to know where these unclean spirits are? They still exist very much within people. This guy was violent. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And apparently I wasn't going fast enough for this guy. But God immediately showed me they're still there. They're still very much there. Philip is casting out these unclean spirits, and also there are people, it says, many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So there were signs that accompanied his preaching. And it's not that signs don't happen today. Signs do happen today. And you know, I... You know, sometimes I hear different people criticize different pastors in this city at the way they, they, they preach in their churches. I'm not going to criticize any of these pastors. God bless them. I should have the faith that they have. I really should. You know, I'm not going to speak evil or negatively about somebody because they pray for others who are sick. I mean, I should pray for more who are sick and, and see the results that they see. And not only that, there are signs that people see. Remember what they saw. They saw, they heard the message and they saw the signs. You want to know the sign that's going to get enormous attention from people? And, and many of you are at a stage in your life 
we don't yet realize the power of this thing. There are so many hurting families, so many hurting families out there, as they see a Christian family, a man and a woman married together, who really enjoy each other. I really thoroughly enjoy my wife. If she's with me, I'm happy. If she's not with me, I'm not happy. I like to see her. When I come home, I like for her to be there. And she says, yeah, that's because I cook for you. Yeah, that too. But I just like having her there. I just like her to be by my side. And, and uh, when people see this, when couples see this who are not flowing well together, that speaks to them. This is a sign to them. When families who don't know the Lord see Christian families where there's, there's a man and a woman who really love each other and there's kids who love and respect their parents who are normal kids who get in trouble at school and do all the things... But there's a family there where people have a respect for one another and enjoy one another. That to them speaks volumes of a sign that, hey, there's something different here. There's something different here. You want to know the thing that's going to impact your neighbor a lot? More than saying, come to this service and, you know, someone's going to pray for you and your back will be healed. What's going to speak to your neighbor even more, I think, from what I've seen, is the testimony of a Christian family that likes to go to church together, that likes to walk together, that likes to do things together as a family, to see a family unit. It has been so decimated in this country that to see this speaks volumes of a sign. And Philip had that sort of life. They saw this life in Philip. Without this life, that, go, that goes along with our message, the testimony just isn't there very strong. It says when they heard the words of, of, of Philip and they saw the signs. So just the signs without the words don't do it, but also the words without the sign don't do it. So if you look at the life of Philip, here's Philip the Evangelist. A- after Philip the Evangelist deals with these folks in Samaria, we're going to read about how he's taken up to Gaza. And then from there... He, he, he goes to, to uh, Caesarea. See, in verse 40 of Acts chapter 8, it says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So that's where the scriptures leave him off. And then if you turn to Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, you see Philip again. So Acts chapter 21, reading verse 8. So Paul is reporting on his journeys. On the next day we left and we came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there some days, the prophet Agabus came down from Judea. Okay, so you see, in Acts 21, we go from Acts 8... And then we never see Philip again until Acts 21. So this is like 20 years later. 20 years later, we pick up the life of Philip. You want it, so Philip, he's dropped off at Caesarea. So he preaches the word all through these cities. He ends up at Caesarea. That's where he stays. That's where his home is set up. Well, what's his home life like? We get a little snapshot right here. Here's his home life. He has a home. He has a home that welcomes Paul and other people and other prophets coming in. This is the sign of a Christian home. It's a welcoming home. 
And it welcomes other people into the home. This is a sign to unbelievers to have a home like this. And then it says that, that uh, uh, he had four virgin daughters. The scriptures always speak highly of virginity. It is a good thing to be a virgin. It is a good thing. Ever since my kids were really little, really little, I would lay my hand and pray over them and say, say, Father, I pray they marry as a virgin to a virgin. And Father, you know who they're going to marry, so protect that person as well. And I would pray this over them, over them, over them. And, and my, my daughter is actually um, seeing a, a young man and uh, he said, I just want you to know that, that um, you, you know, he, he, I didn't even ask him. He said, I just want you to know that I respect your daughter and I want you to know that I am a virgin. And I said to him, why should I be surprised? I have prayed this over my daughter her entire life. You know, that she would have a relationship and that relationship would be that not, not just she would be a virgin, but that this this guy for her would be a virgin. It is spoken of as something that is highly regarded. And the world may try to put this thing down, but I'm telling you, the world longs to have this level of purity. And it says of, of, of uh, Philip's family, he had four daughters. It happens to say they were virgins. Why of all things? Why didn't you say you know, one studied business, one went to Harvard, one went to, you know. Why doesn't it say something of all things to say? God says, oh, by the way, they're virgins. Because that speaks of the quality of His children. It speaks of the quality of His home life. You want to know the home life of the evangelist? His daughters are virgins. Okay, as soon as I hear that, I know it's a good home. I know that they've had good teaching. And by the way, they're four virgins and they're also prophetesses. Meaning that they're active in the church and speaking forth the Word of God. That just because there were women in a society, in a, in a Greek society where women didn't have much of a standing, they were very active in the church in proclaiming the Word of God. That they understood their role in the church. They were active in the body of Christ. This is the life of Philip, the evangelist. So they heard Philip. They saw the signs and wonders, but they also see the man's life. The man's life. And this is what speaks volumes to the world. And also volumes to other believers. Because other believers have not had the good fortune of coming from a good family or themselves may not be going through a good family. But it's an example to other believers as well. This is what it can be like if you'll walk with God. This is what it can be like. And then my heart goes out. To, to individuals in a couple who the other individual in the couple doesn't want to walk with God. And so how, how their heart is just wrenching for that, that home life. This is the testimony that you have. This will mean more to you someday. What, will, what breaks young people from selfishness is the having of children. The having of children breaks young people from selfishness. When you have your first child, immediately you will be interested in what the schools in the area are like. Immediately you will be far more interested in the level of crime in the area. Immediately you'll be interested in the community because of that child. And it breaks you of selfishness where the thing that you value most, your sleep, is dashed from you. 
So that child whimpers and you have to go and minister to this child and take care of this child. And it doesn't just end after a year or two. You spend the next 20 years ministering to the needs of this child. This breaks the pattern of selfishness. God knows what He's doing by granting children to couples. You take a couple who's never had a child and gone year after year after year after year and has quite the ability to have children but has never had children. There are tendencies to come in on themselves, to have their own little world, to do everything exactly like they like to do. Because what happens when, when a ch- child comes into that family, it immediately disrupts that order of what you just like to do for yourself. God has a way of doing this. And this richness that comes in a family, you will begin to appreciate later in life. You will at some point begin to appreciate how valuable this is. And if you come from a Christian family, where people have, have, where people have walked in this, let me just assure you that there's very few families in this country that have this sort of attitude, this sort of arrangement. And so you are greatly blessed and highly fortunate to come from a good Christian home if you do. But this is a testimony. A testimony. And this is a testimony and a sign for what we have. Then it goes on and it speaks of about a, a, man named Simi, uh, a man named Simon in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, <clears throat> claiming to be someone great. And they were all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when, peop- but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So si- Simon had their attention for many years practicing magic. But when the preaching of the Word of God came, it superseded all of that, all of that that, that, uh, uh, magic for many years. The preaching of the Word of God has power. The preaching of the Word of God breaks through to the hearts. The preaching of the Word of God is very different than just just, uh, uh, works that are being done. It's a Word of God that began to change their hearts. But this thing of magic is something that we need to take seriously. If you have practiced magic, if you've practiced magic or been part of this, or even dealt with with simple things that you think are quite harmless, Ouija boards and things like that, I beg you to stop and to turn from that because it will draw you in. You say, oh, these things are really harmless. You absolutely don't know what you're talking about if you think these things are harmless. I have seen the effects of people who have walked in practicing witchcraft and magic, and I've seen the devastation that it's had upon their lives. And, you know, I was sitting one day with a, with a, on the airplane and I started sharing with this woman next to me. It turned out that she was a golf pro. And, and, uh, and then she mentioned how her sister was, was uh, uh, her sister did all these amazing things because her sister practiced witchcraft. And I said to her, I said, well, you know, your sister practiced witchcraft and, witchcraft and it impresses you. I said, I bet your sister has trouble sleeping at night. And immediately her eyes got re- real wide open. She said, how do you know that? I said, because I just know the way those sort of spirits deal. They don't give you peace at night. I bet she has a lot of trouble sleeping at night. And, you know, and that's, that's often the case. And you practice in these things and the spirits will torment you at night. I have seen, 
uh, uh, many things happened. Even in this very class, in this class, a few years ago, there, were, there was a, a young man and a young woman who were practicing witchcraft. And actually, I went to, to pray with them. And, uh, um, and I said, I'm going to deal with this stuff in you guys. You want prayer? And the, the woman and the man were sitting there, and I was with a couple others, and I began to pray. And just as I was beginning to pray, I said, you know, I'm going to start to pray for you guys. And then God's going to come, and you have to make a commitment that you never go back to this again. And immediately, the guy got violent. He got up, and he walked out and slammed the door behind him. And the woman stayed for prayer. And that guy, all of a sudden... I don't know, he must have found, gone back to his car and gotten it, but when I went out five minutes later, that very same guy who had been sitting in this class had a black trench coat on with the collar turned up and he was standing there smoking a cigarette. And you walk out from when God wants to deal with something and that young man sat in my home and told me how his former girlfriend, uh, uh, he was late in picking her up to go on a date. And she thought... You know, why is he late? And, and they were practicing witchcraft. And what she did, she drew a pentagram on the ground, got up on a ladder, and hung herself over that pentagram. When he showed up to her house, she was dead. You mess around with witchcraft, and it will result in that sort of thing. You mess around in magic, it is a deadly experience. Don't go that route. And it starts with simple Innocent little things that people think are really cool like Ouija boards and then it gets into tarot cards and other things like that and palm reading and it brings you down a line. And for years you will struggle with being terrified at night and being terrified in your sleep and there is a way to have it broken. And that's through prayer of deliverance. And it can be broken. But this thing of magic arts amazes a lot of people. The people here were amazed by it. But it ended up bringing death to lives. And when the preaching of the Word of God came, immediately the magic was superseded by the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Father, how You have demonstrated to us through the life of Philip, a man who preached Your Word, but who also had a family that was honoring to You. Father, I pray for these young lives that as you take them through experiences and the challenges of life where there will be pain and destruction that they will continue to preach your word and to speak highly of Jesus Christ. Father, not to be confused even by persecution, not to be confused by job loss, not to be confused by war or terrorism, but to continue to preach the things of the kingdom of God. How you take these things of the world and you use it to stir us up, to speak your word, because as the scriptures say, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would grant them good families and good lives where they would honor you, where virginity would be honored. And Father, for those here who have lost that prematurely, to lost their, have lost their virginity, Father, I pray from this day forth they would commit themselves to You to walk in a manner of holiness and experience Your life and Your restoration. And Father, I pray for these young people and all those who would listen, that they would be free of magic and practicing witchcraft and demonic things. And Father, I pray that you would break them of this. And Father, for those who are, are tormented as a result of these things, that they would go for prayer and be delivered. And Father, thank you.
Because you do perform acts of healing, acts of ministry. You do heal the sick. You do cast out demons. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the testimony of these things, that you do these things. And I praise your name for it. Father, take these young people, give them good lives. May you grant them good homes and the blessings that come from a good home and good marriages. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.